Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Tough day for the averages. Dow sinking 166 points. S&P losing 0.29%, while the Nasdaq eked out a two-basis point gain. But I'd argue it could have been much, much worse. And honestly, it probably should have been worse and was at one point in the day very ugly. But the Nasdaq rallied into the close, taking the rest of the market with it. I kept wondering from the very beginning, from the opening bell, where are the sellers? Why aren't they reacting to that ugly warning that we got Monday from Apple? Why is everything now, no matter how negative, automatically treated as a buying opportunity? It's like there's always something to be said for buy, 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 buy. instead of sell, 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 sell. And I think I know the answer. There is an answer. I think it's the index funds. 60% of the money coming in over the transom these days is coming in via index funds. And they buy everything, including the stocks that should be getting hammered by bad news. They buy in unseeable waves, and they are in control of this stock market. Not mutual fund managers, not hedge fund managers either. Yes, index fund buyers. I know lots of people call this market a bubble. And of course, they then blame an easy fit. But maybe, just maybe, listen to me. There's no one to blame. You simply have many companies doing well, companies that have nothing to do with the coronavirus, which is what hurt Apple. The stocks of these companies attract buyers, and the buyers use any kind of weakness to back up the truck. They don't even wait to see if the stocks they want are down. They're too eager to pull the trigger. It's like they worry that if they don't use the dip to buy, they'll miss out on a rare and short-lived moment of weakness between waves, cascading waves of index fund buying. Buy, 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 buy! Consider the case of Apple. Yesterday, my wife and I used the day off to walk around downtown Manhattan. It was a day where I agreed not to use the PC, not to look at it, not to examine the latest coronavirus news, not to tweet. Something that, uh, well, let me just say, a combination of tweeting and coronavirus, I'm unhealthily obsessed with. Despite my best efforts, though, nothing stops the news. And I got an alert on my Apple Watch and my Apple phone about the Apple warning. The largest company in the world says it will probably miss its sales forecast this quarter and perhaps longer, depending on the course of the virus, which no one knows, of course, because the epidemic has so thoroughly messed up China. My first thought, I said to my wife, Lisa, I said, you know what, Lisa, we can crash if we get more announcements like this. Apple's the most important company on Earth. If it can't make the numbers, that means many others won't be able to either. You have to presume this is just the beginning. Her reaction, her reaction, Apple's having a tough go in China. Did you or anyone else expect otherwise? I mean, nobody's going out, nobody's shopping, nobody's working. So what did you think would happen? 
Well, I, I explained to her the domino effect that Apple could have, and she asked me if they were uh, at their highs. I said, no. She said, then why sell? Stocks always come back. They, that's what they do. They come back. Well, it wasn't a rebuke so much as an honest view of how people feel about the stock market these days, hence those index fund waves. I couldn't let it go, though. Apple could be the financial ground zero for this epidemic. They have retail stores and demand for their product. I, it, it's slowing, and they make product in China. Her reaction. Then let's go to the Apple store and get all the iPhones we need before they run out. I, I asked, why do we need more iPhones? And she said, you never know. And she immediately asked the guard for the nearest Apple store. I did not protest. I simply said, you know, maybe it's time to go home. Maybe I do some work. When I explored the Apple issue uh, when I got home, this is what I came up with. Apple has six or seven supplier plants in the affected area around Wuhan, but they're simply uh, parts companies, sub-manufacturers that can be replaced somewhere else in China. Uh, that could relieve any storage, uh, any, any, it could relieve any shortages, even the ones caused by my wife. However, the more important question may be, how many people can the Chinese government get to go back to work throughout the country? It's a tough situation. The Communist Party doesn't want to be uh, a commerce bottleneck, but they also don't want to kill their own people. I think it's more of a push that they can do it, although we don't know yet. Even if the Chinese can get manufacturing going again to supply the rest of the world, the demand from within China is very low. That's not great. You'd think this news would be devastating. And there was certainly, we saw, particularly at the opening, some real negative pin action. The stocks that are directly dependent on Apple, like Skyworks, Broadcom, Cirrus Logic, Corvo. But incredibly, the other semis didn't feel the impact at all. NVIDIA got some positive pushes from analysts, some of whom missed last week's unbelievable move. Micron was down almost 2 bucks pre-market trading, then it quickly made up most of those losses. Supply so tight, demand strong, which is all that matters to the commodity chipmaker. AMD? Jeez. The hottest of the hot has simply soared since his last quarter. Remember the one that was supposed to be really bad and I told you it wasn't? Today, the company put out a release about how Google compute engines using their uh, processors. Crazy thing. I figured AMD would get that business anyway. It seemed like a non-story to me, but the people were genuinely wild. Stocks surged nearly 3%. If you were worried about Apple and what it could do to the rest of tech, you ended up fighting both Amazon and Facebook, the Nasdaq kings, with the latter benefiting from CEO Mark Zuckerberg's soothing words in Europe that included a request for the kind of censorship that he'd previously been a lot less receptive to. Oh, by the way, Microsoft didn't get bogged down either. Uh, it rallied a dollar eighty-eight or one percent. Tesla up fifty-eight bucks, but I mean, honestly, is that even a news story anymore? Why wasn't all of tech brought low by Apple? Isn't that really the question? I think these buyers were simply waiting for dips. So when we got them at the opening. They bought stocks hand over fist to get ahead of the index fund wave. I also figured the industrials had to take a hit. What I discovered is that only stocks that are directly called out by Wall Street research get hit, like Emerson, which was downgraded. Maybe other industrials will get downgraded tomorrow, but Emerson has more China exposure than most, and that's the one they picked on. Now, when I heard that Apple's having problems sourcing after my tech checked down, I thought that the sellers might be saying, wait a second. If Apple can't get parts, what about retailers who source heavily from China? Aren't they at risk? Isn't that something I should worry about? Well, I didn't have long to wait. Walmart reported missed numbers with a slow Christmas. But management issued an earnings forecast of more than five bucks a share for the year. So investors felt comfortable buying the stock even after that not so hot quarter. By the way, not so hot quarter that was admitted by Doug McMillan, the CEO. He told us. I know many purists were furious that the stock didn't crater on that blow up. Although I think the company outlined a terrific e-commerce strategy that can eventually allow them to rival Amazon. Next thing you know, Walmart goes from being down in the pre-market to being flat and ultimately up. 
As it told a real good story at its New York City analyst meeting, the 30% growth rate of Walmart's digital business uh, controlled the narrative, helping the stock close up 1.5% by the end of the day. And why not? Compared to other retailers, Walmart looks pretty darn cheap on that $5 number, and it had a floor underneath. No wonder it closed up nicely. You know the irony of ironies about this market? The worst performers, ones that there was no news whatsoever, the banks. Why? Because of a sudden drop in interest rates caused by a worldwide slowdown that could get into a full-blown recession. The banks do better in a rising interest rate environment, not a lower one, so the stock of J.P. Morgan and Citi, who I like, got crushed. They couldn't upend the simple linkage. They are still below. They're just doing awfully since they reported, even though they reported great numbers. Ironic, bottom line. An Apple pre-announcement drives interest rates down, which hurts the banks, but not most of the semiconductor stocks or most of his colleagues in tech in all, of all places. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Terry in Michigan. Terry. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My of name's course. Terry Burkhardt. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, and I think the first caller that ever self-identified is coming from the Upper Peninsula. I took a speculative position in Agnico Eagle Mines, hoping to get some gold exposure. I still like the story, but after the recent earnings report, it uh, is significantly down. I'm wondering whether you think I should uh, double down or cut my loss. I went immediately to Heather and King. That's right. I went to the two producers who are in, are the people who want to get people on. When I say get people on, or their own people on. And I said, I want Mr. Boyd on. And I do want you, sir, because I did not understand what happened with that quarter. And um, I need explanations. I'm looking right now at Katie Spencer, who was a person who was integral in my anger of trying to find out what went on. Heather Gaines being the other person. And I'm not going to tolerate that. Okay? Let's go to Kailash in Illinois. Hey, Kailash. What's up, man? Hey, Booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. Love your show. How are you? I am good. How are you? Great. Doing great. Hey, need your thoughts on BYND, Beyond Meat? Been holding it for three months now, but... Really nervous Look, just about hold on to it. It's an ecosystem. I know a lot of people feel it's incredibly overvalued. I'm a big believer in Ethan Brown. I am absolutely not going to uh, distance myself from a stock that I think has a lot of upside over a five to ten year period. And that's how you have to think about it when you're dealing with Beyond Meat. Like the market's ironic, don't you think? Most of the semiconductor stocks run phased by Apple's seemingly devastating revenue work. Most of tech did well, but the banks got crushed because of a sudden drop in interest rates. People worried about a recession because of Apple. Hey, money tonight. Live person helps over 18,000 brands communicate with the customers. But does the company need help communicating its story? I've got the CEO after a severe post earnings decline. And companies like Apple and Walmart are feeling the pinch from the coronavirus. But which stocks are taking the other side of the trade? I'll reveal. And Cloudflare is one of the hottest IPOs when it hit the tape last year, but it's stalled lately. What are the earnings signals? I've got an exclusive stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. 
the news with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. What the heck just happened to the stock of live person? Here's a cloud-based software company that uses artificial intelligence to help its clients with customer relations management. Their tech lets you uh, make bots that can text directly with your users. I mean, LivePerson is one of the hottest stocks in the Red Hawk group. But on Thursday night, the company reported what was considered to be a disappointing quarter. Stock plummeted 24.5% on Friday for falling nearly 4 more percent. All right, what went wrong here? While their revenue came in a bit higher than expected, LivePerson had a larger-than-expected loss, and the guidance for both the next quarter and the full year was viewed as discouraging. Management's forecasting much larger losses than anyone was looking for, and the revenue number for next quarter was also a bit light. On top of that, live person announced that its CFO is stepping down, which is the kind of thing that Wall Street hates to see, especially when, the, when paired with a not-so-hot set of numbers. Then again, the stock's now plunged from $45 to $32. Maybe it's been overly punished. Let's dig deeper with Rob Lacosio. He is the founder, chairman, and CEO of LivePerson. Learn more about the quarter and company sponsors. Rob, welcome back to Mad Money. Okay, so Rob, let's just go right to it. Yeah, uh, I know that you thought it was a great quarter, and yeah. that was very clear. Uh, and I know that the conference call was filled with uh, positives. Yes. So, uh, what happened to the stock? I mean, we put out that we grew twenty percent in Q four. That was fourteen percent in two thousand eighteen. We grew twenty percent. We got in twenty to twenty two percent this year. And so we decided we're going to invest a little bit more in the company because we're a leader and we're going to invest in innovation. I think the shareholders thought we would take the you know, take off innovation this year and just focus on uh, getting more leverage. We will at the end of the year, but we're leading the pack, and we have to innovate as we do this. Now, I believe I just spent a, uh, spent, read a great book by Dave Cody, yeah. uh, who is the former very successful CEO of Honeywell, and he's talking about that you need to be both short-term and long-term. Obviously, someone like Opco, which downgraded you to perform, is saying you are not giving us the short-term results, and they're focused uh, on the first quarter guidance being below consensus. Was there a better way to telegraph this? Because obviously people who bought the stock ahead of the quarter have just been crushed. Look, uh, growing 20 to 22 percent this year, I think, is, is, is what people expected. And that's right. what we put out there. I don't look at intra-quarter what we're doing. I'm looking at the full year. But, you know, you know I've always taken a long-term right. perspective on the company, and we're going after a giant space. So the quarter in Q1 is going to be a little lighter than maybe they wanted, but not for us. It's we're looking at the year of 20, 20 to 20 to 22% growth, which is awesome. So, off of where we were last so year. you feel that this is all organic, by the way. Okay, we're not uh, buying companies; we're organically growing this business. No, absolutely. But remember, you know, from the point of view uh, sure. of of how you did the, uh, I care tremendously about operating cash flow, and the cash flow was light. As you know, J.P. Morgan saying, uh, disappointing investments continue to drive uh, drive lower than capital profitability. It's uh, been lower than expected profitability, and the OCF was light. So, I mean, absolutely, you're doing great in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock is saying that your eyes are cloudy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I have to deal with the stock because that is the four walls of Kramerica, so to speak. So, what do we tell people that this is the right level? Yeah, I think they're going to see leverage. We told shareholders we're going to see leverage at the end of the year in the model. Um, we are boxing our, our investments this year. We're going to do mm-hmm. about $16 million in innovations. The rest is going to be about getting leverage off the bottom line. But I think we're a growth company. We're looking right. at a giant space. And so 
I care like you do about operating leverage. That's right. what we're going to focus on. And we're even setting in, internally like a rule of 40. We want to get to rule of 40. Well, you got to get to rule of 40 because right get now to you're it. not at the rule of 40. That's correct. But we've been really investing and growing and getting and, and, and going after a big segment of the market. Okay, so how about the um, live intent, uh, intent analyzers, which to me seems very proprietary. Yeah, so when I look at the space and we call it the conversational space, Jim, mm-hmm. it, I think it's going to have as much impact as e-commerce or search or social. I agree. And, and you and I have talked about this, the ability to talk to a machine and have a natural conversation. It's in the collective consciousness of people. We all believe the Alexa type situation should happen with every company. Right. And we do it with Delta and T-Mobile and all these big brands. So what we're looking at now is how do we take that to the world? And Live Intent is proprietary technology to look at the intense that a consumer is having with the brand. Right. In terms of I want to buy something, we have a way to analyze that and then use machine learning algorithms to then scale those conversations. Yeah, I mean, that's I, what this I, is about. Right. I mean, I kind of felt that it could be a competitive space and you've got to go for game, set, match. You have to, yes. Uh, and that, therefore, I just wish you had telegraphed it more because I think people would have been happier with it. I don't, you know, I can only telegraph so much being a public company CEO, CEO, and and basically we use this year to say we're going to be a growth company. 20 to 22% is awesome. We're going to basically box our our investments in innovations, Mm -hmm. about 16 million. The rest is going to go to get leverage off the bottom line. I think it's pretty good. It's better than pretty good because we're a growth company, like I said, once again, doing it organically. Now, CFO departing, uh, normal course of business? Look, I decided that I want to make a change in that department because I looked at that is a department full of data. Right. We are an AI company, and I hired someone who is a leader in the AI space who right. has a great pedigree in, in uh, financial services and all that, and he basically is going to take this but bring AI to that function. If we're right. going to be the best AI company in the world, I want all my leaders to be experts at AI, and he's one of those. And John okay. Collins is taking it over. So we had a plan. You know, we, we looked at that, and I just want to game-change that role too. Okay, so if you have bots, let's say you're in your China, that would, if people are showing up, say only a third of the people are showing up because of the virus, bots can take that place. But I wonder whether some of your customers, particularly the airlines, are under such pressure because of the, of the virus that may not be able to spend as much as they did. The, 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 there's a, the big pressure is this. We, for instance, in Q4, we signed a couple of healthcare companies. Yes. And they want to talk about defending themselves from Amazon because Amazon said they want to go into healthcare. Right. And the way they think they can do that is scaling the conversations they're having with their customers and creating a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor, you have an experience with them, you capture that on a messaging platform. An AI will help you with yes. whatever is wrong with you. You want to process a bill instead of calling and being put on hold. You do that through a conversational experience. They want to game change it. And the only way they're going to defend themselves is to get into the conversational space. That's what they see. Right. And where the company they're trusting to scale their operations with the conversational platform. All right. So who do you think you're pulling away from with this kind of thing? Because I think people are saying, listen, I'm a little frustrated, but maybe they shouldn't be frustrated given the moat that you're putting up. Yeah. I mean. I think the conversational space is going to be as big as search and social. I think you'll see one day there will be a trillion-dollar company in this space, and I want it to be us. The things we're investing in right now and setting up for will allow us to do that, and I think that's what's important. So the Amazons and the Facebooks and Apples, they're in the space. Jeff Bezos made a big bet, obviously, in Alexa to say this is the way it's going to be. But they can't just be Amazon and Alexa. It has to be other companies get access to that technology. And, and you that's can be that source. Who else is providing it? No, no one We're is. one of the largest companies in the world to do this, even though we're not big tech. Right. We, we are large enough to go ahead and go after them. We are large enough to go ahead and define a space and win it. 
Okay, well, I would tell our viewers is, look, obviously the stock's down over the idea of investing more, not because they failed, because the top line was terrific. It's terrific. And that's what matters. That's Rob Locasio. He is the founder and CEO of Live Person. Do your homework. Take a look. Understand uh, some of the analysts and how they feel. But the transcript is very positive. Man, money's back into the I don't want to profiteer off an epidemic that's already killed 2,000 people. But we need to acknowledge how this coronavirus outbreak is changing the world. And yes, some companies are benefiting from that because they benefit from keeping us healthy. The first that comes to mind is Clorox. We're learning that this virus, now known as COVID-19, is unfortunately resistant and most importantly resilient when it comes to surfaces. Some people say it lasts for days. One product that's been able to shown to kill it, and that's the kind of surface issue, is bleach. And that's why I carry Clorox disinfecting wipes everywhere I go. I don't think there's much choice anymore. You can't afford not to have wipes of some sort because of the surface issue. You also know the bleach can kill it on contact in your clothes if they touch the virus. So you have both wipes and bleach. Now, here's what's really important. I can't recommend Clorox on this because the bleach and the wipes are just a small part of the repertoire. The company gets 34% of its sales from home care and laundry. And these products are a subcategory within that. If Clorox was struggling outside of home care, then the stock would be untouchable. Fortunately, the weakest segments right now are bags and charcoal, 21% of sales. And I think a strong enough driver can offset them. Clorox is incredibly well run. The cost savings from the restructure are coming through. And I think the stock is a buy, which is why it's an integral part of my charitable trust, as I've been telling members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I talk about this. I say, look, this is a product that, well, I think you got to have. We know that even the WHO says it works. Second winner is Zoom Video. Now, every company I talk to with substantial exposure to China has been installing or thinking about installing Zoom's video conferencing software. Stay in touch with people who are working from home, which is where people are supposed to work. That's the new rule. We spoke to CEO Eric Yuan last week, and he said the phone is ringing off the hook. Now, I thought for sure the stock would go much higher just in that interview, yet it did next to nothing. Oh, now it's on the move, though, up nearly 6% today. Zoom's currently at 96. I bet it takes its 107 high out, even as it's already up 42% for the year. I can't imagine their sales slowing down just when the virus starts to spread beyond its epicenter. I wish I could recommend Cisco off its WebEx video conferencing business, which is excellent. That's more of a large enterprise product and simply not large enough to move the needle for a big company like Cisco. Third, there's Teladoc, and that's a telemedicine company that lets you get diagnosed by a doctor from the comfort of your own home. People are starting to realize that it stands to benefit, which is why the stock roared almost 5% today. Now, we had Teladoc on two weeks ago. People yawned. They should have bought. Finally, I'd be willing to bless Gilead here, bound for 4% yield. Here's a drug company with the best collection of antivirals in the market. They're the ones who pretty much cured hepatitis C. If any drug company is going to solve the the puzzle of what to give people who've been hospitalized with COVID-19, I bet it's Gilead. Even if they fail, the stock's too cheap to ignore here. And I do think they could probably fail because this thing seems indestructible to virals. What should you avoid? Okay, 3M, it seems so obvious, right? It makes the best surgical mask. But I don't think it works here because the rest of the portfolio has some serious problems and the mask won't be enough to offset that weakness. It's the opposite of Clorox. I know that's a short list. While this virus has been a colossal contributor to a slowdown global economy, it simply doesn't lend itself to goods that are working. You've got Clorox, Zoom Video, and Teladoc on reality, Gilead on hope. That's about it. Chuck in Tennessee. Chuck. And thank you for all you do. Of course. Hey, uh, uh, I, have small, I have a small position in uh, BBBY. 
I've had it for about two months. What's your thoughts on buy, sell, and hold? And is no, that my answer is absolutely safe? buy. I've been steadfast. I know the shorts are, are never going to quit. I like this new CEO. I think people don't understand that that ridiculous pre-announcement that he had was worthless. He didn't need to pre-announce. I want to know who his lawyer is so I can tell his lawyer that they ought to just hang up uh, and move on because they're not doing any uh, the clients any, 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 any hope whatsoever. Uh, the company did announce a very big buyback. They do have a strong uh, cash position. I'm looking at some of the things they said, uh, and I read $600 million, uh, share buyback. Let's let's think about that for a second before we dismiss it, like many of the shorts will. $600 million share buyback, and the company's at w- valued at $1.4 billion. Well, what do you want to do, buy or sell with 43% short? How about we go to Sherman in California? Sherman. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Hello from Sunny Palm Springs, California. Thank you. So is right now a good opportunity to buy more shares of Tyson? All right, so my Chapel Trust owns Tyson. It acts absolutely horribly. I can tell when a stock acts horribly. Mostly when stocks act horribly, that means you should sell them. However, I believe in the thesis that they've got the food and China needs the food. Uh, it's just I think maybe there's a possibility that people don't realize or China, they can't go out or whatever. Uh, the stock acts terribly. They did say they had a bad quarter. I think that they should try to explain why it was bad. It's not clear to me. And I think the stocks will buy. My travel trusts own it. But I'm not pounding the table because there's something clearly wrong with the stock or else it would be going higher. Right. As coronavirus fears persist, I think Clorox, Zoom Video, and Teledoctor buys. There's a much more man bunny head as the 2020 presidential race heats up. Campaigns could be ripe targets for intrusion and disinformation. Tonight I'm talking with one CEO working to protect almost all the presidential campaigns in the 2020 election cycle. Don't miss my sit-down with Cloudflare. Ben, it was the greatest Hollywood IPO that wasn't. But what does the CEO of Endeavor have to say about his decision to pull its public offering? And all your calls rapid fire tonight's decision of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It it's new Triceratops. It's new. Yes, we may very well be. Thank you for not calling me a brontosaurus. I'd like to think more of the T-Rex. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Let's talk about an exciting cloud stock that had the misfortune of coming public last September. Why does that IPO window was slamming shut because of the WeWork thing? It's called Cloudflare. Here's a company that helps businesses run their websites, make them more secure, enhancing their performance, and uh, rolling out a bunch of different content delivery services into one seamless platform. This is exciting. Shortly after Cloudflare became came public, stock spiked from 15 to 22, but then the cloud stocks went out of style, dropped back to 1450 in October. Since then, the stock's been steadily working its way up back to 17. Uh, that's where it closed today. But the company, well, the company's doing great. Cloudflare just reported some excellent numbers last Thursday, bullish guidance for the next quarter and the full year. Yet the stock couldn't get any traction. It's actually down since it reported. So is Wall Street making a mistake here, or is there something I'm missing? Let's take a close look with Matthew Prince. He's the co-founder and chairman of CEO of Cloudflare. Get a better read on the quarter. We're excited. Bishop Prince, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Here we go. Booyah. (laughs) This is your first time on, so I want to give you the floor for a moment to talk about what Cloudflare does and why it's different from other people in the space. So Cloudflare is the service that makes the modern cloud possible. What we realized 10 years ago when we started the company was that the Internet had some core problems. It needed to be secure. It needed to be reliable. It needed to be fast. Right. And yet... 
the hardware that we'd all used, the firewalls and load balancers and WAN optimizers of the past, didn't work in the cloud. There was literally nowhere you could ship a hardware box to box. Right. And yet you still needed to solve those problems. And so at Cloudflare, what we did is build one of the world's largest networks. We're in 200 cities worldwide in order to solve those problems. What that means is stopping 50 billion attacks every day for our six point, uh, 2.6 billion, or excuse me, million customers uh, and 26 million different internet properties that rely on our service. And you've got unbelievable revenue, 51 percent. But what I thought was most interesting is the election that you guys are big in, in making the election secure. I think that's a great thing to talk about. Well, one of the things that you know, we saw in 2016 when a lot of technology companies' platforms were being used to actually subvert democracy mm-hmm. was that we could play a role in helping protect it. And so we've worked with different political campaigns and with U.S., both local, state, and federal election officials to make sure that they can use our platform at no cost to keep their services online and available. We couldn't have built Cloudflare without a stable and functioning democracy, and I think it's our duty to help protect that. Well, I think what you made this acquisition, um, the S2 Systems acquisition in January. That seems to also help uh, the idea of security, which I think is so important. Everyone's crazy about it. One of the things that we've seen is that there's literally nobody that likes their corporate VPN. I mean, I don't know what you have to use here at CNBC, but it's a pain to actually get it up and running. And so what we launched was something called Cloudflare for Teams, which said, how can we use our massive global network, all of our threat data, in order to keep our customers safe online and make it so that you can actually have a positive experience? And what's really cool is we actually launched a version of it for free for consumers that are out there. So if you go into an app store and look up 1.1.1.1, which is the easiest IP address in the world to remember, then you can be safe even as a consumer and use the Cloudflare network. Okay, so people say, well, wait a second, are these guys just another Akamai? That's not a fair comparison, right? No, I mean, Akamai is an incredible company. Someone that we've we've admired for a long time. And I think that what we did was we sort of started with security first Mm -hmm. and built a network to support that. I think Akamai has sort of seen what we've done and they're coming around to us. Over time, I really think that there are five global networks that are going to matter. Cloudflare, Akamai, Google, uh, Microsoft, and Amazon. And those are the networks that if you're online, you've got to be relying on. And I think what's powerful about us and powerful about Akamai is we're the only two of those that are independent from the public cloud. And that's what's driving a lot of our biggest Okay, you've got, what, 10% of the fortune uh, of the Force 1000. That's a huge number of customers. And that continues because you've got large clients, 95 in 2016, Go and you, you gave us, uh, we don't have the 2019 figure yet. Maybe you can give that to us. We're up to 550 big. customers that are spending over $100,000 a year with us. And that includes great companies that are across all different sectors and industries. If you look at big public, big cloud companies that you admire, that I admire, like Salesforce, Shopify, right. Zendesk, HubSpot, all of well, them are all cloud customers. Plus, and you're now getting consumer packaged goods, which is really the holy grail of what we're looking for. You know, well, that's, this last quarter, um, Mars, uh, which was a you know, huge Mars? brand, they signed up for Cloudflare because what they were worried about is, you know, they don't want to give all their data to an Amazon or to a Google, exactly. different public cloud providers. So what Cloudflare can do is be that independent network that sits in front of any of the public clouds and lets you as a business not have to put all your eggs in the Amazon basket because right. you never know what product Amazon is going to launch tomorrow and potentially be competitive with you. Cloudflare enables a multi-cloud environment in an extremely easy-to-use way. 
Now, you won that versus, say, uh, what Google, Google and, Microsoft and Azure? So what they wanted to do with Mars wanted to do with us was make sure that they were able to easily move between those. Right. And providers. you say that in your in all your documents, it's about going back and forth. They can uh, have that luxury if they want. That's right. Don't get locked in to any one of those public cloud providers. And what we are is we make it very easy to move between that. And what Mars really wanted to do is also replace a lot of their legacy hardware. Ultimately, right. who we're competing with are those legacy hardware vendors right. that were selling things that were expensive in terms of a CapEx spend and also expensive in terms of maintaining the people just to make sure those boxes still work every day. Now, you mentioned Salesforce, which we know has a very good relationship with Amazon Web Services, but maybe they're doing the same thing? I, you know, I, I can't speak to exactly right. what Salesforce's strategy is, but they've been a terrific customer right. of ours, and we really um, have admired them. If you look at where Cloudflare is today, it's almost exactly where Salesforce was 10 years okay, ago. Yeah, same revenue, cloud. same market cap, same number of employees. And so we're trying to follow in their footsteps, starting with the long right. tail of consumers and then moving up over time. Okay, I do want to mention uh, lockup expires Feb 19, yep. right? So we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to sell or not. I would expect that a lot of them won't because your stock's so low. But I do want to point that out so people don't say, Jim, how could you not mention that there was some stock coming to the market? Well, I am not selling any shares uh, tomorrow, and, and I don't expect to be any time in the short term. And when we've talked to who our largest investors are, they really believe in the vision of this for the future. And uh, we, there's a lot that we're just getting started. I agree with you. I wouldn't sell down here. That'd be a big mistake. Yeah. All right. That is Matthew Prince, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Cloudflare. Now, look, I got to tell you, I was thrilled that, that Matthew came on the show because I think it's such a good story in an era where a lot of people say everything's overpriced. Not everything is. Man, money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. Come on, Jeff and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, down the light round. Let's start with Rob in New Jersey. Rob. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. South Orange, New Jersey. What's happening, my friend? Not much, not much. Um, I would like to first thank you for your spill of knowledge. Yeah, I was your investor over the years here. Excellent. And uh, I would like to ask you about a high dividend yielding stock that was rated underperformed by a big brokerage house on February 7th. The stock is DuPont. All right, DuPont is now run again by Ed Breen. It looks like the previous CEO is now gone. Why is he gone? Because he didn't deliver. Ed intends to deliver. He is a permanent CEO. It's not anything that's done, just temporary. So therefore, I think even though I do believe there's two points downside, I don't think there's more than that. Let's go to Mike in West Virginia. Mike. Hey, Jim. This is Mad Money Mountain Mike. Who you are from wild, wonderful West Virginia. Well, there you go. I like that whole combination. I like the, I like the uh, gorge there. It's really terrific. Thanks so much. Let's talk about Comores, ticker CC. The Ponce Commodity Chemical spinoff from a couple years ago, Jim. Beat the street by 14 cents last week, up 20% Friday. Appears to be a sustainable dividend, over 6%. What are your candid thoughts, High Priest? Well, I, I do worry about the, uh, there is liability there that is actually, actually could actually hurt DuPont. I just mentioned DuPont. Um, I'm not a fan because I don't like the commodities, and there are some issues involving a PFAS verdict that could come up soon, so I'm going to take, take a pass there. That is a form of pollution that does hurt groundwater. Let's go to Levon in New York. Levon. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Jim Levon. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's first call, and okay. my question for you is about Ericsson Communications, because it's 
possibly a 5G turnaround. And well, Ericsson is okay. My problem with Ericsson, as well as Nokia, are that these are companies that are being swamped by, uh, really being crushed, frankly, by Huawei. And the Western nations in Europe don't seem to be interested in helping their own, which is wrong. Susan in California. Susan. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Thanks for 13 years of great advice. I'm the chill man is here. Chill man's in the I mean, house. It is. Chill man's in the I house. What's up? I've been watching a Fortune 500 science and technology leader that just got a $100 million contract with CDC. It goes head and head with Northrop and Lockheed. It just rose almost $11 today in the middle of a down down swirl. It's named L-D-O-S. Lidos is what? such a winner. We have liked this company ever since the spinoff. We continue to like it. It is not done going higher, even though it had a real big move. I want to go to Jerry in Texas, please. Jerry! Give me chill. Yeah, yeah. Hey, big booyah to you from El Paso, Texas. Nice. I love El Paso. One of my most fun towns. Let's go to work together. All right. So uh, I'm looking at this company. It's down about 10% from its 52-week high as of now. Um, they got a good uh, business in their imaging and sensing solutions as well as their uh, um, network services. All right. They're down on the gaming and network uh, services. The company I'm looking at is Sony. Sony is uh, a great company, and the Japanese market's taking a little bit of a header here because people worry about coronavirus. A lot of people feel, uh, including Dr. Gottlieb, he really just put the kibosh on Japan. Uh, I'm willing to stay side-by-side with Sony. Let's go to uh, Rob in Pennsylvania. Rob. Professor Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Man, I've been so friendly online. Just block, 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 block. The people offend me. What's going on? Hey, um, what's your take on Cherry Hill Mortgage? We don't know what Cherry Hill really owns. I mean, that's the problem. It's another one of these black boxes. I do not like the black box uh, mortgage companies. And that lays the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When that lousy WeWork IPO correctly imploded in early September, all sorts of deals got postponed or canceled altogether. But sooner or later, they're going to be back. And tonight, we want to check in on one that was postponed. Uh, and it was kind of interesting. I'm talking about Endeavor. It's the parent company of WME, the talent agency formerly known as William Morris, along with IMG, the sports media and fashion company, and UFC. Yes, that's right, the Professional Mixed Martial Arts League that is so on fire. Full disclosure, I'm a client of William Morris, so I speak from experience when I say they are great at what they do. Now, Endeavor was supposed to come public late last year. They got pushed back the deal, and the IPO market turned hostile. I think it was a very good decision to drop out. I'm betting they're going to be back, though, probably sooner rather than later, and a better price than they would have gotten during that big WeWork dive. And that's why we are thrilled to have Ari Emanuel, the CEO of Endeavor, here with us tonight. Mr. Emanuel, welcome to Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. Hey. How are you? Okay. So, uh, a lot of people just say you're a talent agency. Uh, when I look through your financials, that's like a legacy view of your company. And yet yeah. we were somehow unable to change the dialogue. Why is that? Well, you know, I think where you start is kind of how people see you. What we've done over the last, actually, March 29th will be 25 years. Well, we've changed the business into an operating business, kind of aware the dynamics because of the change of distribution going mm-hmm. out in the marketplace in the entertainment business of how we operate. Most of our business at the time when we started, 
when Silver Lake came in, about 80% was in the representation business. Right. The sports or um, people in the entertainment business. Um, about five years ago, we decided the mix would be better. 50% of the economics of the company, things we own, like the UFC or mm-hmm. Freeze or things like that, and 50% of things we represent. So we're a very fluid business. But I understand it. I started in the agency business. There was right. a show about me. It's hard. Right. So. Well, the show about you was funny. Yeah. And not necessarily, uh, from what I can tell, uh, accurate. But uh, in Back in the of, day. Maybe so. <laughs> but what I want to talk about is, is that I've always felt that you have a unique view and vision. If somebody wants to do something, you should take a stake in it. Well, here's my opinion about it. You know, we don't have any legacy infrastructure. I don't have to defend a cable channel. Right. We're, I, I think we're the best positioned company for the, where the entertainment business is going. So if you just take one vertical, the television business, mm-hmm. there's a $150 billion ecosystem in the traditional business, whether it be ABC, CBS, USA, CNBC. Right. There's an additional 35 to $40 billion coming into the business, which is a third more money coming into the business every year over the next five years. Right. That's a really, just television, that's a really good place to be, and that's just domestic. Right. And, and UFC, uh, we know, has been a tremendous uh, source of just of programming it's been for incredible. someone that was able to make a lot of money with yeah. it. And you it was, split that. Right? It was great on Fox. Right. We're having the best year we've ever had on, with ESPN and our partners at Disney and ESPN+. Plus. I think they're doing great, too. So it's been incredible. All right. So let's talk about uh, what happened with the deal. I know that this Hollywood reporter, I don't know whether maybe they are dealing with the guy who used to be in the Looked like the old guy from the HBO show. But the dramatic last-minute decision to pull the plug on the IPO was not just an embarrassment. It was at least a temporary end to the hope of raising capital to pay down Endeavor's heavy debt, finance further expansion, created a morale problem for some 400 of Endeavor's 7,000 employees who hold shares, and have been convinced by the leadership to sit tight. Um, well, that's about as negative as they can. What do, you, what do we say to the Hollywood reporter? Well, here's what I would say to you is, We got caught in this WeWorks growth overhang. We weren't like other people. We didn't have to go public. Um, We were raising five, six hundred million dollars. We have a great. We've had average double-digit revenue growth, double-digit EBITDA growth. So we're doing well. If you saw recently, we hit our EBITDA numbers that we said in the filing. We hit it last year. We did the acquisition of On Location, which we'll talk about. Right. Right. We gave a dividend to everybody at the company because we mm-hmm. had the cash flow to do it. We'll reduce, um, we'll delever based on just normal EBITDA growth, right? We're in really good shape. I was not gonna not, I was not gonna hurt my partners that invested in me and backed us by a bad IPO market. Okay, so how about this acquisition, which was done when you were supposed to not have any money according to Hollywood? Correct, I guess they were wrong. Right, and the acquisition to me uh, it seems to be a great way to be able to do a lot with sports, maybe even gambling. Well, he, we he, here's what I would say to you is we're in business with the NFL, right. with one of the great assets of all time. The, the NFL kind of rolled their um, into into our acquisition. Rolled their what into? Their... Rolled, rolled equity into the right, deal. Right? right. And we now have a lot of events, whether it be UFC, fashion into creating an experience business, starting with the Super Bowl and our partnership with the NFL, and all of our assets globally that we can bring to the table. Is it possible that if or when you do try to come public again, 
that there's a shift in the amount of revenue that comes from agent versus uh, programming that would make it so that you're a unique programming company at a time when the world is thirsty for programming. Well, here's what I would say to you. 50% of our economics comes from representation. Okay. Okay. Locked in long-term deals. Right. And 50% comes from things that we own. You know, at one point you and I talked about in the medical area, a company that kind of had a, ba- a balanced approach. Like right. I forgot the name of the company that you and I discussed. We're, we're the same way. We're flexible. Right. We look at things on a global basis. Sometimes we just represent it. Sometimes we've represented and then we acquire it, like the UFC, like bull riding, like freeze. And that's the way we look at the business. Um, and I think it's for where the world's going. Mm-hmm. I think we're best positioned as, as one of the guys best positioned in the entertainment. I mean, I know that Abbott and AbbVie, AbbVie was the... Uh, was the drug part and Abbott was the device part. And they, you know, people, they just said, listen, we can make even more if they split it. I mean, to me, that's not the right time. You're, you're building critical mass. You want to pay down debt. But it does occur to me that the idea that you are an agency is just the way it was. It's a very small piece right. of... And you're kind of like a software as a service business for entertainment. Some of it is. Correct. Which you could then accumulate more. Yes. And that would be the smartest way to be able to make a lot more money, and no one has that model. It's very hard to be in this place to have that model. Exactly right. right. I don't think any of the major studios can do it. You know, they have to acquire their stuff. And listen, what I, oh, Disney but, has done a great job. Right, they have. In acquiring asset and growing their business. And what happened to the old Ari from the, that TV show? A lot of meditation. <laughs> wow. Okay. I have to give that a try. That's Ari Emanuel, CEO of Endeavor, again. They are my agent. I want to be very sure that you know that. They're private. That's full disclosure because it's really important. Yeah, money's back in the break. Stay right there because you don't want to miss a CBC special report. Yes, from the coronavirus outbreak. It's hosted by my friend Tyler Matheson and is coming up next. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to fight it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC Special Report begins now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.